You're now listening to Primetime with Charles Reese, presented by the Bros You Think Network. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Primetime Podcast. My name is Charles Reese, your host, and today we are joined by a special reoccurring guest, our friend Brian Bienemy. Y'all know him as Brian Anola East. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing just fine, my brother. How are you? Doing good. Can't complain. Man, look, the rookies have already reported training camp. Everyone's reporting this week on the 25th. Uh, football is back. Man, I, I tell you what, dude, you think about it, and I'm like, from next week on, dude, that's going to be football. Like, you know, real live football, no more speculation, no more drafts, no more free agency. It's time to get back to the, the pads cracking. And so I'm super excited right now, man. I can't even lie about it. Well, look, I saw something, you know, I was fishing all weekend, didn't really get to check my phone. Well, I pull up Twitter to see what's been going on, and, and I see a tweet from you. And, you know, I, I thought about it on the way home, and I'm thinking, man, Brian is right on point, talking about the defensive in-depth and how we need to maybe look for, a, you know, someone who can be a guy in that back end of the roster that can fill in playing time and gives quality snaps for the Saints. Do you think that's really a priority this team needs to do going into training camp? I think it has to be. I think when you look at Cam Jordan, who's been basically an Iron Man his entire career here, but on the other side of that, you have Matt Marcus Davenport, who, you know, unfortunately suffered a few bumps and bruises during his rookie season. And I think behind them, you really don't have anybody that you feel confident with. Of course, there's Mario Edwards. He's going to be mainly playing a three technique, so he'll be inside. You really don't want to take snaps away from him, especially with the Anya Ma of situation and not having rankings so i believe you know you really want to kind of limit his snaps as far as playing him on the outside and it's after him you really have nothing that's proven you got trey hendrickson unfortunately for him another guy that really can't stay uh healthy i know you know many saints fans told me about west horton but there's nobody really that you feel confident that you can say you know what if one of these guys has to take a few plays off you know god forbid they get a hangnail and they have to miss a quarter or two there's nobody you feel confident being able to push the pocket and i think that's the problem well, looking at other position groups, where are going to be some key battles you think we're going to see? Maybe, you know, some of these undrafted uh, rookie free agents coming in that could have a chance to make this roster. I think that is the biggest problem if you're an undrafted guy for a team that's known to kind of find undrafted guys. You know, I mean, unfortunately, there's only one spot really that's available for you to fight for, and that is a backup spot. You know, it is the backup DA spot maybe you can try to fill in as a backup linebacker and if you're smart you'll just try to focus on being the best special teams player you can be and maybe you'll be able to sneak on the roster I say this in full confidence and with no bias the Saints are absolutely loaded from top to bottom one through 53 the biggest battle of camp is going to be a battle in which nobody's probably going to talk about but it's going to be P.J. Williams versus Patrick Robinson versus Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And I know he's listed as a safety, but he's getting a ton of snaps at the nickel. So I think that's the biggest battle with camp right now. And maybe the number two, let me not say number two, the number three wide receiver spot because Ted Ginn is the number two. Yeah, you talk about that wide receiver spot. I, I mean, is a guy like, uh, you look like little Jordan Humphrey. Is he a guy that can make this roster? I know in the past we talked about a guy like Cam Meredith, and especially looking at this camp where he's going to have to show us something and have a good camp for us to feel confident and paying him as much money as he's going to be receiving this year. 
Yeah, I think Cam is definitely one of those bubble guys right now. He has to be healthy. He has to get on the field because if not, he's just a bunch of broken promises and potential. I think a guy like LaJordan Humphrey could come in, make a little bit of noise, but it's going to take an amazing camp and depth and one hell of a preseason for him to be able to crack it because the Saints right now, I know everybody's concerned about those backup spots, but if you look at the progression chart, they don't really need that that third, fourth guy that's going to be, you know, just like a game changer. They basically have what they need. You have, of course, Mike Thomas, and we all know how great he is. Ted Ginn, you're probably going to have one of the younger guys, Trey Quan Smith, maybe Keith Kirkwood, filling some snaps here. But make no mistake about it, Jared Cook is a wide receiver in the tight end's body in this offense. And then there's always Alvin Kamara, who we know is one of Drew's go-to guys coming out of the backfield. So when you look at the way Drew's going to go through his progressions, that number four, number five receiver is going to be, you know, kind of a afterthought so you better make your way and have one heck of a uh, you know heck of a camp in preseason if you want to make this roster well uh, sticking on the offensive side I uh, got two more on the offensive side but looking at that offensive line look the Saints uh, it's been known they had injury issues heading into the playoffs I think that's a big reason why they ended up getting knocked out of the playoffs in that NFC championship game uh, amongst other you know calls things like that but Looking at that game and looking at what the offensive line went through at the end of the season, you know, Eric McCoy is going to – I think he's a starter. I, I don't think there's any question about it. But the Saints did sign a guy in Nick Easton, and they've got a guy in Anders Pete who's in a contract season. Do you see that Nick Easton and Pete could be battling, or, or do you think Easton is just solidified as that sixth offensive lineman? Uh, for me, and from what I've seen, I think Easton is definitely going to be the Senio Calamente guy of the offensive line. He's going to be the plug-and-play guy. Somebody goes down, has to put on a cleat. He's going to be the guy that runs out there, takes a few snaps until the other guy comes back in. But as far as him truly competing for a starting spot, I think that's about over with. I think Eric McCoy is going to be your guy starting at center. I think he's the guy that the Saints want. He's pretty much taking the, the majority of the reps at that spot. So I think that's pretty solidified. And I think Easton will kind of fill in where he has to uh, along the offensive line. But I definitely agree with you when you say that's the reason for the Saints' downfall. It's no coincidence that, you know, the demise of Drew Brees, as we've heard all over the NFL, you know, landscape, just so happened to coincide with the idea that the offensive line was unhealthy. And, you know, God love him, you know, because Max Unger was an absolute warrior his time here. But he got absolutely whipped in that in. NFC Championship game. Yeah, exactly. And going to my other question about the offensive side is I'm looking at that tight end position. You know, you talked about Jarrett Cook. We all know what Josh Hill brings. But then there's kind of like that third spot. Same with running back. You know, you've got Alvin Kamara. You've got Latavius Murray. And then you're kind of looking for that third running back. If you're looking at those two positions, tight end and running back, who are guys that we should be looking at that could be that third guy in the depth chart to make this roster? I think Dan um, Dan Arnold, excuse me, is going to be in for one heck of a fight because Alizé Mack is a guy who has all the, the tools and the potential to be, you know, a, a sleeper to kind of make this roster and not only make the roster but contribute much like Dan Arnold did. So I think those two guys are going to fight it out. So, you know, when you look at Dan Arnold, what he brought to the team, you know, kind of being converted over to a tight end and making some plays. I mean, we all remember the game in which Drew didn't throw to a single, you know, wide receiver that wasn't undrafted. Uh, I think, you know, that was impressive. And Dan Arnold was one of those guys that caught a touchdown in that game. So I think he's in for a little bit of a dogfight. His spot is not solidified. 
But, I, you know, it's always, you know, it's the third tight end spot. So, I mean, I think whoever wins that spot, you kind of have to just take it with a grain of salt considering that they'll be one of those guys that Sean Payton uses when nobody else is paying attention. It's almost like I remember a few years ago when Sean got first got here, he played uh, the Dallas Cowboys. And Mike Carney absolutely just carved the Cowboys up because they didn't see him coming. That's the type of guy I think Alizé Mack or Dan Arnold would be as that third tight end. As far as backup running back, they love Washington. Absolutely love him. But uh, the undrafted kid from Nebraska is going to be trying to give him a dogfight. And it wouldn't surprise me if somebody kind of pops up out of the ranks we haven't seen yet. We always know that during the preseason, one of these guys comes up that we haven't seen, we're not really paying attention to, and kind of breaks. Breaks it before that was a guy like Chris Ivory and you know Kyrie, uh, you know Kyrie Robinson and I mean you know these guys just pop up out of nowhere and I think we'll see that happen again. But make no mistake about it, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, those are the guys who will be getting the bulk of the carries once it's time for the week one to start up. Well, switching over to the defensive side, uh, we see the Saints' defense has improved tremendously. Uh, David Onyemata only gets that one game suspension, which I think is a a huge relief for the Saints. They probably knew that considering they didn't really go out and get another guy. But we know Sheldon Rankins is going to probably be a pup guy. Uh, we won't see him for the first half of the season. But the Saints did bring in a guy like Malcolm Brown. Looking at that defensive line we talked about in, but looking at the interior, uh, how do you see that position uh, progressing through the season? And, and some guys that we're going to need to have big-time moments and big-time play from, especially in that first half of the straight, uh, season stretch. Yeah, I think Malcolm Brown is an unsung hero that we're not going to really appreciate until the pads come on week one and he's playing against the, the Texans or maybe even not until the Rams and Seahawks games in that first quarter of the season because he's a guy that's an absolute stud and he was basically, believe it or not, was held back by the New England coaches on his ability to get upfield. He was mainly a run stuffer, a guy that eats up blocks for the other guys to kind of be free and do what they have to. But this is a guy that has nothing but pass rush potential. So his ability to collapse the pop, get from the inside is going to be key, especially when you look at the first four weeks of the season. We're talking about seeing, you know, a highly touted offense in the Rams, a, a very grimy, you know, gritty offense in the Seattle Seahawks. And of course, the Texans can be about as high flying as anybody. And of course, then we get the revenge game against Dallas. So these four games, you know, those are four quarterbacks that that could be of the upper echelon moving forward. Russell Wilson already being there. There's no doubt that Malcolm Brown will be counted on. And it's I mean, I think, you know, as the season progresses, think about it this way. If the defensive line can play the way in which we all believe that they can, and last year they played, you know, I mean, absolutely amazing at times. And then right midway through the season, you get a guy like Sheldon Rangans who's coming back, who's going to want to prove that not only is he healthy, but he's also playing for a new contract. That's almost, you know, almost overkill if you're a team like the New Orleans Saints who have a lot to prove themselves as a whole. Well, looking at that defensive backfield, uh, the Saints have tremendously improved there. Uh, a guy we talked about last season, I know you and I spoke about him at camp and, and through interviews during training camp, was Marcus Williams, a guy who I, I think he was the MVP of camp last year, right? And then the no season doubt. comes along and we don't see him shine. You know, he's probably the second or third uh, best guy in that defensive backfield last year, if not fourth at the end of the season. Can we expect him to, uh, you know, play better? And I know we talk a lot about Von Bell, who has progressed year after year, going into a contract year. Uh, almost have to think this, he's going to force the Saints to have to pay him. I totally agree with that last statement. As for I mean, to be honest, I agree with everything you just 
said, especially the Von Bell part, I think he's a guy that's consistently improved. And not only that, he's at the, the, the place now to where if he has one more good season, we're talking about the Saints having it, you know, to look at paying both, you know, not, both Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, but they also have to look at Von Bell now and say, okay, we have to keep this guy because he's too valuable to let go, especially in the role that he's playing as a solid tackler. Uh, I believe, if not, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Pro Football Focus said he missed one tackle in the, the entire season. I could be mistaken on the on the notes right now because I do a lot of this from memory, but that's absolutely insane just to say a guy is up the upper echelon of tacklers at his position when he has so many chances at it. So I do agree with you absolutely 100% on Von Bell. Now, when it comes to Marcus Williams, I'll be honest. I could sit here and blow smoke kind of like I thought I did last offseason when you and I were talking about this, and I thought Marcus Williams was going to come out and have, have 15 interceptions and just be, you know, a wrecking ball out there. And it comes to be that he was the MVP of camp, but he was a dud in, in, in the regular season. And I hope, my hope is that it was it was too, too close too soon for him. It was too 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 soon coming off the Minnesota miracle and maybe it played into a lot of his his progression his thinking maybe he thought I don't want to get beat because it seemed to be to me anyway that he was playing scared at times that he didn't want to make the big mistake because of it hopefully being two years removed from that playing a season last year in which he didn't get beat deep often if, if at all I think at that moment maybe now he can go out there and just play fast play free and if not he'll be playing for a new team very soon yeah, and you know, we talked about Marcus last year being so good, and a guy like Marshawn Lattimore saying, "Man, Lattimore's not practicing well. Like, what's going on with him?" And you know, I know we knew that he was trying new techniques. Then the season comes along, they completely flipped. And you talked about uh, Marcus Williams playing nervous. It seemed like he was out of position a lot, and you know, not in terms of out of position of making you know a a play and you know saving a touchdown or something like that. But he, what we came to expect from him. In his first year with the Saints, was man, this guy is a is a ball hawk. He's gonna you know go and and blow up a play. He's gonna make a correct read, you know, make a straight line to the ball and make a play on the ball. We really didn't see that last year, Brian. And you know, I, I'm not sure how you can fix that because there's a guy behind him in Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I know you talked to him about him in that nickel spot, but that's what Chauncey does is is he can fly across the field. I saw some plays from Florida where that guy, you know, where he was out of position, and in seconds, he was beating guys to the ball. And so, you know, I, Marcus is going to have to do something special this year. Or like you said, I, I think he could be playing somewhere else. Yeah, no question about it. I think the, the biggest gift and curse that happened for the Saints was hitting on all those draft picks. Because now, you know, even with the addition, that, as we spoke of, of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, another guy looks like they seem to have hit on, you got to pay these guys eventually and somebody's not going to get paid because either they're going to underperform or the Saints just won't have enough cash flow to go around to everybody, especially if Michael Thomas ends up getting about 20 mil per year himself. So there's not enough money to go around. So Marcus better make it a, a very difficult decision for the New Orleans Saints to say, OK, who are we going to keep? Are we going to keep him or we're we going to keep Von Bell or do we just find a way to keep both of these guys and maybe we lose somebody on the other side of that? But whatever happens, Marcus has to step up. And you mentioned Marshall. John Lattimore and how early in the season, you know, or early in the offseason, he kind of struggled. I think Marshawn may have been one of those guys who was the antithesis of Marcus Williams. I think Marshawn actually went into it reading the press clippings and reading the pro football focus notes and saying how great he was. And maybe he didn't take it as serious. Maybe he thought, you know, they'd roll the ball out there, you know, say hut hut. And all of a sudden he'd be pro bowl Marshawn Lattimore. And it didn't happen that way. The very first game against Tampa, I think, woke him up because Mike yeah, Evans ate his lunch. <laughs> yeah, he, he looked think, bad that game. Indeed. And I think it kind of woke 
him up a little bit and it kind of made him kind of get back on his lockdown and I think after that we started to see him slowly progress and then by by season's end it was the Marshawn Lattimore we thought we would get so I think you know for him I think it's a matter of him going in realizing the only way to be great I think you know I once heard I believe it was uh, if I'm not mistaken it was uh, Deion Sanders maybe he said it but he said in order for you to remain number one you got to train like you're number two and I think that's what Marshawn Lattimore has to do and he'll be just fine. Well, we look at that cornerback position. Uh, that number two guy has always been an issue for the Saints. They bring in that Eli Apple last year. And Eli, you know, people were saying, man, you know, not that good. And there were rumblings from fans. But I don't think people understood that Marshawn, like you said, was playing so well last year that Eli was the guy that they had to target. And P.J. played really well at that nickel spot at the end of the year. And so we saw more balls going at Eli. But you look at his pro football focus uh grade and it was high and you know Eli coming into a contract year you know are, are we going to see a, a, an even better Eli Apple than we saw last year you think I think absolutely I think Eli is going to be the guy that forces the Saints hand more than anybody next year simply because he came in and I believe it was week six when he got here so he only played 10 games and when he first got here you still have to remember he's learning not only his defense he's learning a new city he's learning new teammates now mind you some of those guys went to Ohio State so they have some type of brotherhood there but and you know he's also trying to you know play on on an island because we're, we're also talking about his backup and when I say backup, I don't mean, you know, the guy behind him, but I mean the guy who's supposed to help him over the top, which was Marcus Williams, was basically struggling himself. So Eli really was placed on an island, and I think he performed more than admirably. He was the difference in the team. You know, Eli, prior to the Saints are getting roasted, once he comes in, that starts to slowly trickle down and towards the end of the season. You know, over the last 10 games, the Saints had one of the better pass defenses in the NFL. So I think definitely he comes back because now he learns the defense. Second year, he's going to play faster, play smarter, and and it would not surprise me that he, because he's playing for a contract, he definitely plays hungry. It would not surprise me at the end of the season to see him come away with five INTs. Well, looking at the team as a whole, you know, we talked about Drew Brees in the past about maybe last year was his last year. It kind of looks like this year could be his last year. Do you think that this team is Super Bowl or bust this year? I think every year since the Minnesota, well, prior to the season of the Minnesota Miracle has been Super Bowl or bust because they came off Three straight seven and nine seasons. It's been, you know, a real disappointment for a guy who's won a Super Bowl. Of course, the Saints will tell you themselves that they feel like the 2011 Super Bowl got away from them. That should have been theirs when they lost to the San Francisco 49ers in the uh, the, uh, the divisional round. So I think, you know, for them, every year has been Super Bowl a bust. And th this particular year, more than more than likely, it's going to be, you know, chips all in. They're not going to spare any expense on making sure they can get to the Super Bowl. And I believe. Sometimes it takes something like what's happened over the past two years, because I think the Saints are looking at it and saying that it took a Minnesota miracle to get us out of the playoffs one year. It took, you know, the referees and, of course, the injuries to get us out of the, the playoffs the second year. I think this is, you know, I think last year many of the fans kind of joked that it was the revenge tour. I think this is the year. I think we'll see a very, a very unique Saints team in which I think there'll be a hybrid. I think we'll see an offense very reminiscent of the 2011 offense. And I think we'll see a defense very reminiscent of the 2009 defense. I'd be absolutely floored, barring, of course, some type of, you know, and I won't even say it, but we all understand what it is. Yeah, I don't even think it's a miracle will stop the Saints this year. I think this is their year, no doubt. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think the cards are lining up. You know, you go back-to-back -back years where you have endings like you had. I think it just points to, you know, 
third time's a charm, right? So the Saints going into this third season where they're playing at an elite level with elite young talent that, like you said, they're going to have to start paying next offseason. And when that happens uh, and you've got guys that are on the books for large contracts, you get too many of those numbers start don't start working out at the end of the day. And some guys eventually end up being let go. Uh, last question on the Saints. Just because you talked about that offense and creativity and stuff like that, we've seen this offense with Taysom Hill year after year when he's been able, been in offensive plays. Uh, just have some elusiveness, a craziness, a uniqueness about them. We've seen other NFL teams even try to replicate what the Saints have done. What are we going to see in year three of the Taysom Hill era? Whatever he wants. <laughs> that, that, and I think that's the kind of the funny way of putting it, but th- there's nothing that he can't do on the field. So what I think we'll see more of this season is I think we'll see more of Taysom Hill, the quarterback, because that's the only way to keep the defense honest when he answers the game. And I think we'll see more of Taysom Hill, the wide receiver. If, if there was a, a slash, you know, the Cordell Stewart type of mind frame, I think Sean Payton is going to get this guy the ball any and every way he can. And for me, I I think a guy like Sean Payton enjoys having a guy like Taysom Hill because it's almost like it gets his creative juices flowing. What can I do with this guy next? I mean, let's be serious. Ted Ginn was out for most of the season last year. So, you know, Sean didn't even get a chance to get super creative with it. But imagine the speed of having Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, and Teddy Ginn on the field at the exact same time. If I'm a defense, I don't want to see that, especially when you have a guy like Jared Cook who can still control the middle of the field and pull those linebackers out. That's the last thing you want to see is, you know, you're, you're a DB and you see, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 220, 30-pound Taysom Hill barreling at you with the full steam and, you know, he's coming, he's coming at you and you have no idea what you do. If you try to tackle him low, he'll truck you. If you try to tackle him high, you know, God bless you. So, I mean, and if you try to, you know, basically, you know, dive at his knees, he'll make a play and you'll be on Sports Center's top 10 for, you know, for looking like a dunce. So, I mean, if whatever Taysom Hill wants to do is what he'll do this year. Now, will he improve as a quarterback to where he's in contention to be the quarterback of the future? I doubt it. But he's definitely going to be, you know, a weapon. I think somebody asked the question, you know, I think I think somebody posted it on Twitter. Hey, Taysom, what position do you play? And he says football. The end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there was a game last year where we had a, a, a issue just in terms of depth on cornerback. And uh, and some reporter, it might have been a national person, said, you know, Taysom Hill did play cornerback back in his high school days or something like that. And was like, well, you know, at this point we can expect, you know, there's nothing that wouldn't surprise us or would surprise us uh, these days when it comes to Taysom Hill? Not at all. I mean, you know, I would love to see it just because it'd be fun to see. I'd love to see Taysom Hill be the first guy to throw for a touchdown, run for a touchdown, and get a sack in the same game because it would not surprise (laughs) me if you put him at linebacker or something. He couldn't get to the quarterback fast enough. So for me, I'm just excited to see what Sean Payton does with this guy next, especially, again, the creativity of having him, Kamara, and, and, and Teddy Ginn on the field at the same time. And it would not surprise me to see Drew Brees catch a touchdown pass this year as well with Taysom Hill at quarterback. I agree. I, I wouldn't even be surprised to see some elusive plays with Teddy Bridgewater in as well uh, this season, uh, just to give him more of a look to see what they can get from him in the future. I know I said that I was going to wrap up with Saints questions, but Brian, I thought of two more that I want to get your opinion on before we move over to the Pelicans and get some basketball talk. Look, we talked in the past uh, about that punt return, kick return spot and how important it is for the Saints in terms of flipping a field. Uh, you know, the Saints bring in a guy like Marcus Sherrills uh, who looks to be able to fill that role at punt returner, kick returner. 
but I'm not sure if that's solidified or maybe if the Saints are looking somewhere else. Is that a position that we should be watching for at camp this year? I think in his situation, I think it's his to lose. You know, don't get me wrong. Nobody, you know, outside of, you know, quite a few have, you know, solidified positions. But I think for him, he's it's his to lose. They brought you in for a reason. You're great at what you do. Everybody knows, you know, your your talent level. All you got to do is not trip over your own feet on this one and you're good to go. And I don't think there's anybody that can supplant him because, you know, this is what he does. This is the reason he was brought in. He wasn't brought in to be a DB. He was brought in to be the punt returner. And I think, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll you know, they'll have Teddy Ginn back there if they have to, depending on what's going on. But I think it's his job, man. I think, you know, it, it's his time to show this is why I'm in New Orleans. I came here because I wanted a chance at the Super Bowl and this team, can, you know, has been right on the cusp. It's up to me, and I hope he comes in with the mentality that not, that not that he has to to make a play every single time, but make the right play every single time, and they'll be just fine. Because when you have an offense like Drew Brees, and if the Saints, you know that you know led by Brees, and you have a a defense that you know w- was pretty darn good, if you ask me, you know although they don't get the national acclaim that they should, I think all he has to do is come in and be the element that doesn't lose the game for the Saints, and they'll be just fine. Well, looking at the Saints team, you know, we talked about a couple of rookies. Give us a rookie who could make this team and have a big impact, whether it's a guy like Caden uh, Ellis, you know, maybe a guy like uh, Bigelow or uh, a Saquon Hampton. Who's a guy that we haven't talked about that could surprise us in camp and make this roster and have an impactful uh, role in this team? I think you named the spot that that probably has the, the most openings, which is Caden Ellis in the linebacker spot. I think he has the ability to kind of get there, make it happen, because there. I mean, we know who the starters are. It's going to be AJ Klein. It's going to be, of course, Thor out there, uh, Alex Anzalone, and then of course we have probably the most underrated free agent signing in the past five to six years mm-hmm. in the NFL, and Demario Davis being at at Mike linebacker and just being you know the eraser out there. So I think you know other than that. You still need depth. There's no more Manti Teo. You know, there's no more Nate Stupars behind that. Craig Robinson, you know, Craig Robertson, excuse me, uh, is, is, you know, going to be one of the guys that's always counted on. But he's not really, you know, he's not really one of the guys that you're going to sit down and say, you know, we're, we're waiting on Craig to make a play. So I think in that situation, it's wide open. There's no, for as much as I say there's no depth behind the DEs, there's nobody talking about the fact that we don't really have a lot of linebacker depth. And I think that's why he gets a chance to say, if you look back at the 53-man roster and he's on it, that would be why. Hey, and don't be surprised if he's in for some pass rushing uh, uh, spots as well, because we talked to Mike Atelier after the draft, and he said, man, Caden Ellis can get after the quarterback in a pass rush situation. He said, don't be surprised if Ellis comes in and he's a guy on third down that they bring in and say, go get the quarterback, and he gets to him. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, his pass rush skills are definitely on par. And I think that's the element that the Saints are going to miss with somebody who I believe they was counting on in, 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 uh, in Granderson. In, I'm sorry, Carl Anderson. God, forgive me for a second. I have wrestling on my head. It's I, it's Carl <laughs> Granderson. Sorry. So uh, with that being said, I, they were counting on him to kind of get out there and, and rush the passer. But I think Caden Ellis can fill out a lot of those spots from the linebacker position. And again, you know, what, what you need to do for the New Orleans Saints is if you can't if you can't do everything well, then you better do one thing really, really well. Because Sean Payton, you know, he really utilizes and loves guys who are versatile. So you better be able to do one thing particularly well if you're not a jack of all trades. And that's the one thing this guy can do. He can get after the quarterback. And I think that's definitely going to help them, especially when you want to come with one of those funny exotic looks in which you pull a D tackle and you put some more some more guys out there. That could be interesting to see what happens. But I think he'll get some snaps. Definitely. If he has a good preseason, he'll make it. 
Well, the hot topic in New Orleans as of late has been the Pelicans, and to see what David Griffin has done with this franchise in a mere less than six months has been incredible. But you know, from changing the mindset not only in the city but amongst NBA teams, execs, and media members, the Pelicans are a force to, to reckon with uh, from you know this point going forward. Look, I I think the Pelicans may have had the best free agent signing. They've had maybe in the history of New Orleans basketball, uh, bring in J.J. Redick. You know, I, I saw people say, well, you know, Pedro Stojakovic might have been that guy. But, but I think J.J. Redick is, is right there as well. Just kind of talk about uh, what David Griffin has done, as well as the addition of a guy like J.J. Redick in, in terms of a vet who can hit threes, uh, which will be a nice surprise over in New Orleans. I think what he's done is basically the impossible, as crazy as it is right now, because he made the national, you know, perception of the New Orleans Pelicans change. You know, when when before Griff was hired, you know, people had forgotten just that quickly that he was hired because nobody was paying attention to the idea that this guy, had, you know, had basically brought in a new medical staff. Because I saw Max Kellerman of you know ESPN's first take even you know tell you know tell a viewing national audience that. The Saints and the Pelicans were still sharing, sharing the same medical staff. And at this time, Aaron Nelson was hired and in charge. So it, it, he basically has changed people being able to say things like that. You know, at one point, you know, many, many around the, the NBA landscape and of the national media thought that the New Orleans Pelicans were or also ran basically a mom and pop shop where the football team runs the basketball team and nobody cares about basketball. That is now gone. Nobody can ever say that now. And now what you see from guys like Colin Cowherd and many across the NBA landscape are now saying that they can't wait to watch the Pelicans. Colin Cowherd went from saying New Orleans was a dump to now saying it's one of the most exciting teams to watch. So, I mean, oh, what a difference a few months makes. And we got to say that that all belongs to David Griffin. It seems like right now, as of today, he hasn't missed on a single move that he's made, hasn't whiffed yet. And, of course, it's all going to be said and seen once we get on the basketball court because that's the time to show and prove. But as of right now, Griff could tell me to run through a wall, and I wouldn't question it. I'm just going to start running because that's the moves that he's made right now. And so far, so good. As far as J.J. Redick, the, in, the most impressive part of signing a guy like that is knowing that he could have took a championship contender. He could have chased rings. But he chose the Pelicans. And I know Drew Holiday was, was instrumental in getting him here. But it's still the idea of, of course, he could have signed with the Lakers, could have went back to the Clippers. He could have went to San Antonio or even remained in Philadelphia, teams that we all know are going to be there at the end of the uh, at the end of the year. He chose the Pelicans. He saw something in our team here that said, I want to be a part of whatever that is going on. And if you look at it and I know, you know, we're trying to kind of shy away from the, the comparisons of trying to have the Saints and the Pelicans, you know, uh, comparisons around here in the city and also nationally. But if you look at it it reminds me of what the saints did a little bit when you're getting guys to start to believe in your culture and that's what jj reddick is believing in. he's believing in the culture and i think now is the time that the pelicans will go out there and i think they'll they'll, they'll compete and if would not surprise me to see them be a playoff team next year oh yeah i 100 agree with you I, I do think the pelicans could be a, a playoff team and i think they could be a competitive playoff team as well, not just a team that sneaks in. But, you know, you, you talked about Aaron Glenn and, and bringing that. I, I think he was instrumental in, in getting a guy like J.J. Redick and, and, you know, getting some of these vets moving forward. It, it, he's going to help out a lot because you're going to have a medical staff that is competent, that is known as one of the best medical staffs in the NBA. Uh, but looking at this Pelicans team, they seem like they could be considered one of the deepest teams in the NBA. Do you agree with that? 
Absolutely. I mean, when you look at top to bottom, the Pelicans are stacked, man. I mean, yeah, yeah it's a lot of young talent, a lot of unproven guys, but I mean, we're talking about they also have some good veteran presence. I know nobody really talks about it much because we all think he's trade bait, but Etwan Moore, proven veteran. They brought in Derek Favors, a proven guy with playoff experience. J.J. Redick, another guy with playoff experience. So these guys, of course, along with Drew Holiday, these guys aren't just here for a nice little story. These guys are here to compete and here to win. And, of course, you bring in the Laker three, and those guys have been here in the entire time that they were with the Lakers. They weren't good enough. That's a chip on their shoulder with something to prove, and all of those guys are talented they just haven't had a chance to truly show how talented they can be this isn't just a group of castaways that you know you know you had an expansion team and you picked the worst guys from each team no these are guys that are hungry young with something to prove and i have yet to even talk about the other rookie draft picks outside of zion williamson who's coming in and basically going to you know be the ticket seller and the guy that everybody wants to see to keep the eyes on the pelicans i think what, what zion is going to do is draw a lot of national attention to the pelicans and then we'll get a chance to see those young baby birds start to flourish a little bit oh i like the baby birds, the beignet boys the baby birds I, I think it's all good it's all fun with basketball in new orleans you did mention some of these other rookies uh guys like Nikhil alexander walker or Naw, as people have been referencing him uh jackson hayes the two stars of summer league man these guys are guys that i think people thought uh, you know people that cover the team thought that man these guys are gonna be kind of projects they're gonna work a little bit but you know i really think a guy like Naw is, is gonna be a guy that's gonna have impactful minutes day one for the pelicans Oh, I totally agree with you. And I think that we kind of saw his transition happen more quickly than what anybody believed. Everybody kind of thought he'd just be a combo guard, play mostly shooting guard, get some kind of minutes. But now we see he does have the ability to play point guard. And when you look at the Pelicans, you see a common theme. They're long, they're athletic, they're high IQ guys. And of course, you know, they're guys who can run and make the right plays. And that's what we saw Nikhil do during the summer league. I mean, he set Jackson Hayes up for some of those things. And these are guys that didn't even have a lot of practice time together. And when they were able to communicate and be on the same page, which shows me the basketball IQ of a guy like Nikhil. So I think with that being said, I think we're, we're going to see the Pelicans do something that many teams can't do. They're just going to trot out big, athletic young guys until you can't, until you can basically get ran out of the gym and you can't keep up with them because I mean, you have a 6'6 guy in Lonzo who, you know, high basketball IQ, good defense on the perimeter. You take him out and you come back with another 6'6 guard, you're going to wear teams out. Well, in looking at this Pelicans team, we've heard the numbers of how many season tickets they've sold, and we've seen some people say nationally that, look, this team's going to be a building team, you know, we talked earlier in this saying, you know, we think they have a good shot at making the playoffs, but how important is it going to be to retain these season ticket holders, to retain the excitement around this team by having a team that's competitive? I mean, I think out of anyone that has, a, a you know, their finger on the beat, uh, I'd say you're up there, you know, being consistently on one of the best radio shows in New Orleans. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. You know, over at the Sports Hangover, we definitely try to make sure we cover the Pels with just as much enthusiasm as we do the Saints. So I think with that being said, it's key. I think, you know, again, this can't be just a good little story. You know, we don't want to be the little engine that could. We want to be the guys that actually, you know, we back up the noise because as quickly as all this good fortune has turned upon us and everybody's talking about them in a positive light, that could change immediately because one bad season and it goes back to, well, you know, they're going to lose Zion just like they lost Anthony Davis. The Pelicans don't have the benefit of sitting around saying we're just going to sit on our hands and we'll let it build, you know, slowly. No, they need to come out the gates running because this, you know, the city is waiting for them. You, you have what you needed now, you know, at one point. You didn't have the support 
you had a team and now you have the team and the support. So you have everything you need. You have all the ingredients for a good gumbo when it comes to the Pelicans. Now you got to serve it. And you can't just, you know, you have to serve this dish. It's got to be hot. It's got to be fresh. And it's got to be good. And that's what the Pelicans need right now. They need to be a good gumbo. They need to get out there. You know, the, the fans are going to be in the seats. Everybody's going to be excited about seeing Zion amongst amongst the other guys. But make no mistake about it. If the Pelicans start off the season, you know, 5-11 and 11 or, 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 you know, you know, I guess 7-23, and, and you just lost all the goodwill you, you spent the entire offseason building up. So you got to come out guns blazing. You got to flip those numbers. You got to come out with, with the intent of saying, you know, we're not going to be, you know, just just a, a team that, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. We're going to be a team that's fun to watch and we're going to win. Yeah, you know, you, you kind of got that from the Pelicans last year at the end of the season after the Anthony Davis drama. You saw a team that was fun to watch, uh, a team that was more fun to watch than teams that have made it to the Pelicans during uh, to the playoffs during the Anthony Davis era, teams that fought till the very end and never gave up. I think we're going to see some of that this year. Uh, I think you're going to see that from some of the guys like a Kendrick Williams, uh, from guys like True Holiday. You're going to see that fight. Uh, but looking at this roster, Brian, you know David Griffin made the comment that they're probably not going to be adding anymore. Uh, did lose Christian Wood as they waived him. Uh, brought back Darius Miller. But in terms of moves, uh, could you see maybe a trade happening to bring in maybe a, a, another star player to start with what we have right now in New Orleans? I'm not sure it's going to be technically you know, a star player, if you will. I think they'll probably make another move to bring in possibly another veteran. Although, you know, like I said, I think the Etuan contract kind of makes people believe that that's what's going to take place. But with having Griff openly recruit a guy like Vince Carter, you know, it kind of makes me think that he's possibly has eyes and he's always going to be looking around to see what kind of moves he can make to improve the team. But at this point, I think the Pelicans are going to fly with the birds that they have, man. And, you know, to use a bad pun there, but I think that the reality of it is, is if a move is made because, of, you know, the Pelicans can't take on salary or, or get, you know, ship a couple of guys out and bring in one guy, it would not surprise me to see in December, maybe even around the trade deadline that they package up maybe uh, each one more and Darius Miller's contracts and kind of ship those guys and, you know, you know wish him well and, and bring in another guy to do it. But I'm not sure if they'll, it'll be a star play in which we're all clamoring for. But then again, knowing Griff, anything is possible. Follow me here, Brian. Give me some of your favorite Saints players other than Drew Brees. Oh, without question right now. I think Alvin Kamara uh, is definitely on, you know, atop the list. Demario Davis is, you know, definitely second to none when you look at some of my favorites. But my absolute favorite Saint player is Cam Jordan. And I think, you know, for me, if there's ever a guy who you could say is the face of the franchise, if you don't talk about Drew Brees, it's Cam Jordan. He's that guy for me. He's the guy that's out and about. He's the guy pumping his heart for the city. You know, he he's that guy to me. And he's been here doing that for a very long time. And you can kind of see why the younger guys, you know, are, have taken that same you know, I guess uh, following his lead, if you will, you see guys like Mike Thomas and all the rest of the guys embracing the New Orleans culture. Well, Cam was one of the first to do that. And I think that's why, you know, maybe he's one of my all time favorites, not to mention, but the guy puts up, you know, ridiculous numbers and he does it, you know, quietly amongst the national guys. But we all see what he does here. Of course, you know, Mike Thomas is one of my favorites as well, but Cam Jordan, absolute favorite. So here's where I'm going to tie it in. Going back to the Pelicans, you know, there's something you talked about those guys that they all have in common. And you said it. I don't have to bring it up. It's that they've embraced the culture. Looking at this Pelicans team, you know, I think it started from the top. You, you know, you see Alvin Gentry here embracing the culture. Uh, we talked with 
some guys around the Pelicans uh, and talked about David Griffin. I, I've heard people, um, I heard Joel Myers not too long ago on radio talk about David Griffin and how they went over to a little place called Clancy's when he first came to New Orleans. And a couple of days later, not even a week, he texted Joel Myers and said, Joel, what was that dessert we got? And uh, Joel told him, and he said, why are you asking, Griff? And he said, oh, I'm there for dinner right now. He's embracing the culture. And looking at this team, it, it seems like they're starting to do that as well. Uh, we see Josh Hart very vocal out on social media. We see some of these guys that are great culture guys in this locker room. Can we expect to see some of these basketball guys embrace the culture in New Orleans more than we've seen in the past? I think without a doubt, I can say 100%, that's exactly what we're going to see. And it starts with a guy like Josh Hart, who, you know, coined himself the Ben, you know, and the rest of the guys, the Beignet boys. And, you know, he's one of the guys that you see tweeting about New Orleans. I believe the other day he kind of had his first taste of the humidity here. And he kind of joked about that, that like, y'all not going to tell me how hot it was down here, huh? So, you know, I kind of. I kind of laughed a little bit when I saw that, but it just goes to show that, you know, this guy is all the way in. You know, I heard a story in which, you know, his name was being rumored about, uh, you know, that I heard Griff actually tell a story. So it's I know it's definitely the truth that Josh's, uh, Josh Hart's name was being rumored about as for uh, being a trade piece. And Josh didn't have his agent call Griff. Josh called Griff himself and said, listen, you know, I, I please don't trade me. I want to be here. I want to be a part of what you guys are building. I want to be, you know, I want to be in New Orleans. That's not something we've heard, you know, from guys. I mean, so I think he's, you know, one of the stars, the, the straws that stirs the drink. And I see, I think we'll see much like we see the Saints have a culture of, of not only winning, but having fun while you win, I think we'll see the same thing with the Pelicans. I think these guys are going to embrace it. And I've always said for the longest time to give a you know a very long-winded answer that in order for the city to embrace the Pelicans, they were going to have to look on the court and see guys that they thought looked like them. You know, you're going to have to look on there and see guys that you think if you walked on the streets and you saw one of these guys, that they were a New Orleanian by the way they act, by the way they walk, by the way they talk, by the, you know, the things they do in the community. And I think we'll see that. And once we see that, I think this fan base will take off. It, give it a year or three. And I think the Pelicans will have a waiting list, much like we see with the Saints. Yeah, very excited to see what the Pelicans are going to do. And, and Brian, I, I think it may be time that they kind of change what they're doing on that game day experience. Hey, man, I would like to see some New Orleans songs being played uh, during during uh, timeouts, et cetera, and bring some of that flair that the Saints have done in recent years to embrace that culture even more in the game day aspect of the Pelicans. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think definitely the, the, the organization has to do the same. Now, I will give them credit because I believe it was the playoff year that they did have Juvenile and Manny Fresh and stuff like that come out and perform. So every blue moon, you know, the Pelicans do it. But I think it has to be, you know, embraced more. I, I think they can't shy away from this anymore. If you saw it, like the city is ready to back, you know, these professional teams. And we need them to be, you know, ready to embrace everything that we are. You, In, in order for New Orleans to love you, you have to love us. And if you do that, we will give you our all. We'll beat in it, in any, any national guy, anybody that's been in the Dome or wherever – when that place is rocking, man, you can't you can't slow down the momentum. And the Pelicans were the same way during a playoff push. If they give us something to cheering, something to get behind, Pelicans fans will do it, and it'll be like a college atmosphere. It'll be crazy in that place. So the you know the blender will definitely turn into a house of horrors for teams if the the city and I'm sorry if the Pelicans embrace the city, and the, the city will definitely you know kind of put their arms around them and say, "Let's go, we got your back." 
I agree with you there 100%. And I think it's time that the Pelicans do a good job of branching out and catching the Gulf Coast as a community like the Saints have done where they have season ticket holders spread out through the throughout the Gulf Coast. I think it's time for the Pelicans to spread further than just New Orleans and, you know, the GNO area. I, I think it's time that they pull in Lafayette, Lake Charles, some from Mississippi, you know, southern Alabama, south uh, or western Florida. I think it's time that, you know, that they expand this fan base. I'll, I'll do you one better. And don't get me wrong. I totally agree with what you say. I mean, practically, I, I think it's almost a, a crime that they haven't done so just yet. But how about embracing the North Shore? You know, how about embracing mm-hmm. Slidell, Mandeville, Covington, Madisonville, you know, you know, the, the uh, La Rose area? You know, how about embracing the North Shore? Because that's an untapped piece of potential that you don't see the Pelicans play. You might live in, you know, I think they might live in Mandeville and stuff like that, but nobody really embraces that part of it. I, I want to see the Pelicans do a grassroots effort to build up the fan base. Put these guys, in, you know, on the North Shore, let them go out there, sign some autographs, you know, shake some hands, kiss some babies, you know, uh, take some pictures, do whatever you got to do, but be a visible presence. And that's what the Pelicans haven't been. I want to see the Pelicans at the Saints game. I want to see Pelicans kiosk, some type of ticket booth in the malls in the city. There's a mall at Lakeside. Of course, there's Oakwood Mall. There used to be Esplanade, even though that's kind of a fading thing. But there's always the uh, the, the outlet mall that's now down in the Riverwalk. Get these players out there. Put a kiosk there. Get some of the little Pelicans dance team to go with them. You know, put these guys in and about the city and sell to your fan base. But don't just exclude anybody. Get everybody. Because at one point, you might reach somebody who wasn't a basketball fan. Now they took a picture with you. They're excited. And guess what? Now you have a new fan. So I think you know, at that point, embrace everybody, but definitely embrace the golf South because that's untapped potential. Play a game or two or have a practice scrimmage or something like that in Mobile. Get those guys to come down and support your team. Why not? Yeah, you put out a winning product, a team that's fun to watch and a fun environment in the blender. I think that place will be packed game in and game out whether they're winning or losing, as long as it's a competitive game and the team's playing hard. Uh, I think people are going to be out there to watch the show that they're going to put on this year. Brian, I appreciate your time. I will get you out of here on this question. Man, did you see any of this picture and video of what happened in Baton Rouge today as they unveiled the new uh, practice facility? I did not. I I did not see it. Well, man, you need to go check it out. want to hit on that because it looks impressive. I think LSU just upgraded themselves to have – some of the best practice facilities. Brian, they have uh, sleeping pods now in their lockers. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, I was actually in the Dome today, went to the sportsman show, and, you know, I walked into the visiting locker room that I think is going to be coming down after next season, and, and it's as simplistic as you can get. And it's crazy to see how locker rooms has transformed as much as they have in the past 10 years. I'll tell you this, man. I think with the with the new wave of talent that's coming through and the way teams communicate with kids because of the social media era, I think you have to be on a cutting edge. I think you have to have the sleeping pods because now you can literally eat, sleep, and, and you know, and drink football, you know, basically because it's a 24-7 game now. You know, you have to get your proper rest in order for you to get out there, perform, and, you know, do lift your weights in the offseason, of course. And then, of course, go hit the pads and your books. Why not have an all-inclusive, all-everything to where you never really have to leave the facility? You can do anything and everything you need to do there. So your concentration full-time is on football. 
I've been one of the harsher critics on Ed Orgeron. I used to call him Coach Oh No for a spell. So, I mean, of course, for me, to see the turnaround that he's having in the recruiting class, the only thing this man has to do, truly, is beat Alabama. And he could be a national champion because if he can pull that off, I will, I, I'll take my chances with LSU versus Clemson any day of the week. And I think, you know, that's his biggest thing. You know, Ed Ergeron could, could basically do what nobody else could do. And that's if he can overtake Nick Saban. And we've seen the formula for making it happen. Now, many teams don't have the horses, but we've seen the formula. I think it could be, you know, it, it could be a grand statement for him. Him and it could shut up a lot of people, including guys like myself, who've been very critical of Ed Orgeron. I hope he does. And I think having a, a locker room and a training facility that's second to none in the country, many people don't believe in it. But that's exactly what Alabama did in order to get, you know, Nick Saban to, to stay long term and change their, their fortunes. This could be one of a small step that we'll look back at later and say, you know what, maybe that was one of the keys in getting these guys because, you know, they, their facilities are second to none. Well, Brian, we appreciate your time. Y'all make sure y'all go follow Brian on Twitter at public underscore B underscore enemy. And as always, Brian, once again, thank you for your time. Hey, can we expect you to see you out at training camp as uh, things are going to be heating up on the football side of sports in New Orleans? Absolutely, man. And for those who haven't been, to, you know, or haven't heard the news, the Saints have totally redid the way they're going to have the facilities out there for you to come and watch the practices. So make sure you get your tickets before they're all sold out and check it out. I'll be out there. You can shake hands, say hi, take a picture, or even call me an idiot. It's all good. <laughs> well, Brian, thanks for coming on today, giving us some of your time talking New Orleans sports because it is an exciting time to be covering sports in the state, as you know, as well as I do. No doubt, man. Anytime you need me, brother, just reach out. I'm here. Well, for Brian being and me, my name is Charles Reese. Y'all have a great week, and as always, God bless. Ooh, I bet you